Have you ever agonized over anything? Well, what if I told you that that might actually be a good thing? We're going to talk about that today. And also, for today's Bad Doctrine of the Week, you may say to yourself that Jesus is the only way to heaven. But what if I told you that social media might be a way to heaven? We'll talk about that and more all today on the Digging Deeper podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Digging Deeper podcast. This is episode eight, and our goal here is just to uh, dig a little bit deeper into that week's sermon, so that way we might dig a little bit deeper into our hearts. We are glad that you all joined us. My name is Chris Brown. I'm the associate pastor here. Hi, my name is Jacob Belding. I'm the connections minister here at First Baptist (laughs) (laughs) And we've got on sound Judah Sanford. That's right. Yeah. All right. How y'all doing? Surviving. Surviving. We are surviving. Yeah, it is VBS week, which means that we're all tired. Uh, and on top of that, uh, plumbing issues happen that Jacob gets the wonderful opportunity to fix. Yes, plumbing. Uh, it, you never know. It's, you know, working at, at church, it's a little bit like Forrest Gump. You know, a box of chocolates. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. It's like, you may be doing VBS things. Yeah. You may be fixing a sink. Who knows? Who knows what you're doing that day? And yeah. uh, Judah is dancing around every night, all night. Yep. Yep. And so, uh, if we're a little tired, it's because all of that's going on. But... We're going to have a great time today. Um, Before I get too deep into it, always forget, if you're watching, like, subscribe, comment, do all those things. Let us know what you think so far. All that just tells the algorithm that that you're enjoying the content, that you want to see more of it, and we would love to see you more on that. And so just don't forget to do those things. All right. Today, Pastor Lee, not today, this week, Pastor Lee uh, was in the pulpit, and he talked on the wonderful agony of our faith, which did, did either of y'all catch the, um, the weird juxtaposition that was going on because, uh, so it's VBS week. And so the, <laughs> the stage is like very like bright and colorful and vibrant and Jesus. exciting <laughs> Jesus. And then Pastor Lee gets up there and it's agony. agony. <laughs> I don't know if you realized that that was the case or if you just thought it was God's uh, providence that brought that together. It must have been. It must have been, yep. yeah. Uh, but he approached it. Um, so, so the title of the sermon was The Wonderful Agony of Our Faith. And he approached that agony while, while it's a negative thing, um, typically speaking, uh, Paul kind of shifts it around to it's, it's not as much of a negative thing as it is a caring thing mm-hmm. uh, for it. And so we'll, we'll get into all that here in just a second. But, but the whole premise of the sermon was that Paul is um, uh, agonizing and struggling and and praying uh, for the churches that he's in contact with, and and he desperately desires for them to to attain certain goals right. in Christ, and and uh, we're in Colossians two is where this sermon is out of, and. Pastor Lee points out two main goals that that Paul wants for these churches, and those two goals, roughly speaking, are this, uh, to know Christ and to be built up into Christ. And so, that's kind of the overarching view of what's going on in today's sermon, and we're going to dig a little bit deeper into it. But before we get too deep into it, have you ever agonized over something? Yes. 
I have agonized over things yeah. uh, before. Like, uh, like, like a, a really long term paper. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say yeah, like a sink breaking um, at that the church. Too. Yes. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> well, that one, you know, there's really no time to agonize except for, you know, trying to like piece together enough like plumbing supplies from mm-hmm. around here to not have to make the trip to Lake Worth and go to Lowe's. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was about the only agony uh, in that I think that I experienced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But term papers. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes they give you a short time frame, but sometimes they give you a long time frame and uh, you spend like months just agonizing, but not actually doing anything, <laughs> just agonizing You're over right. it. It's just hanging over your head the yeah. entire time. And uh, I mean, and it applies to just about anything. Yeah. You know, if y'all are just going to put that off and it's hanging over your head and you can't really get any good rest or mm-hmm. you know, whatever because you're just so in such agony uh, yeah. over it. So yeah. what about you? You ever been in agony? Before? You know, Pastor Lee, he said it a little bit uh, more tongue-in-cheek in the first service, but uh, he said if, you, if you're if you a parent, you know what it's like to be in agony. <laughs> and I, man, I agreed. I agreed with that. Um, in the second service, he more meant it as like, you know, if your kids are out late, you like agonize over if they're coming, you know, when they're going to be back and if they're mm-hmm. safe and, and things like that. Uh, but I like the first one where it's, you know, it's just like if you're a parent, you know, agony, uh, you know what it's like for your kid to um, not go to sleep uh, oh, and yeah. just constantly begin up and down, up and down and up and down and not getting a good night's sleep, which by the way, last night, both of my kids had a great night's sleep. Well, I'm happy for you. Mine did not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we, it happens, you know. Me and Randy woke up on our own today. Our kids didn't wake us up. What? That never happens, <laughs> ever. Congratulations. I uh, know. You've, maybe you've made it. Maybe. No, I think they're <laughs> I think they're just trying. I think, they're, I think our kids are learning more intricate ways to torture us. <laughs> and so normally it's waking us up early right. in the morning. Uh, but I think they're they're getting to a more sophisticated level of torture, where they want to give us the illusion that that they've they've learned to sleep on their own. Then they're just going to rip it away. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. And there's agony involved in knowing that that's coming. Yes, right? yes. Probably tomorrow. Probably tomorrow. <laughs> Judah, do you agonize over anything? I may cause agony. For my oh, you you're the causer of agony. You're not the agonizer. Of course. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Well, <laughs> typically speaking, agony is a negative thing, right? If you're agonizing over something, it's not a good thing. Uh, and Pastor Lee even points out uh, in other points of the Bible in Jeremiah that it does use these uh, this term agony. Um, uh, for like a negative intense, like I'm agonizing over this. Uh, but but Lee uh, pointed out like an, a pretty interesting point that that throughout the Bible, um, they'll almost like take these terms that have negative implications to them and turn them around to a positive mm-hmm. implication. And so he pointed out in Hebrews um, that that the writer says to provoke one another to love. And when you think provoke, you don't normally think like a good thing, right. like like you're provoking each other to like anger or to a fight or mm-hmm. things like that by saying like, like don't provoke, like like the negative sense of provoke, don't, don't use it that way. Use provoke to a positive sense of provoking each other to love. And I thought that was an interesting uh, a point um, to, to uh, like take hold of these words and repurpose them. And you almost see that with the cross yep. too as well. Like the cross wasn't this like glorified, you know, amazing symbol 
uh, in the Roman Empire, it was a symbol of death mm-hmm. and, and destruction and treason and, and punishment. And the Christian faith took that symbol of death and repurposed it and, and put a positive uh, spin on it. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, that's yeah, right. So. There's this, uh, this sort of uh, reversal, right, that happens uh, mm-hmm. with the cross, at least for believers. Um, but on the other hand, for unbelievers... Uh, yeah, it still remains as still, a, yeah. a sign of judgment and and those sorts of things. So mm-hmm. it sort of even depends who you are. So if mm-hmm. you're a, a Christian, then yeah, these otherwise you know things that we think of as negatives, you know, they do get turned into positives, or they mm-hmm. can be a positive things. Yeah, uh, unbelievers not so much. Yeah, right. So. Um, so this whole passage is kind of premised on this idea that Paul is agonizing over the church, and, and it's brought up in this in this passage today. And so we've got Colossians uh, chapter two, um, starting in verse one. Do you want to read that for us? Yep, Colossians two verse one. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Yeah. Uh, so we'll get more into the rest of that. Yeah. Uh, but the word agony is nowhere in there. Right. Um, but it is in there. Uh, so so that very first verse, for I want you to know how greatly I'm struggling for mm-hmm. you. I think yours used the word struggling. Yes. Is that right? Um, so that word, uh, Pastor Lee pointed out, uh, the Greek word, I believe you pronounce it, uh, uh, agona. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to know. <laughs> no, no, y'all are Greek scholars out there. Um, agona, which sounds awfully close to what? Agony, which makes sense because it's kind of the root word mm-hmm. uh, of agony. And so, uh, so when he says, I'm struggling for you, it's like, I'm agonizing yeah. uh, for you on that, which again, like as we were saying earlier, typically has a negative connotation, but I don't think Paul is coming out from a negative connotation here. He's coming out from like a level of like concern and like almost that kind of like provoking sense of like, like, um, like I'm, my thoughts are all about you right now right. and trying to get you to where you need to be in Christ. Um, and so, if you're agonizing, it could be a bad thing, or it could be a good thing. That's right. It, it all depends on on where you're going with it. Right. It's not like he's uh, having this great struggle. Uh, I think Lee even pointed this out in his sermon that um, he's not having this great struggle, you know, in regard to uh, being in prison, uh, in regard to having a thorn in mm-hmm. his flesh, in regard to being beaten. Right. His his agony is not uh, self focused. Right. Instead, it's focused on yeah, which, the church. Man, how does he do that? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. So, like, you see this in Colossians. You see this in Philippians a lot. You got Paul in prison, and you've got these guys who are trying to help them out. Like, and this happens in Philippians. The church is trying to help him out, and he's basically like, "Why are you trying to help me out? I'm doing fine over here. <laughs> I'm doing great. Prison life is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I've been talking to Bill over yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, we're buds now. Yeah." <laughs> We're starting a quartet, right. um, singing songs. Um, He's like, you want to make me happy? Like, y'all stay united. Uh, yeah. Get along. Yeah. Uh. And so it's like his, like if it was me, let's say if like, you know, the, the political system turned really sour and I got thrown into jail, 
uh, for an extended time for my faith. Man, I'd be riding every congressperson I knew. <laughs> <laughs> Let me out. <laughs> yeah. It's like, y'all, y'all need to go picket around the, the place. Like, get me out of here. Like, I'm agonizing over this. They won't let me watch my TV. <laughs> uh, or even worse, they put on, like, a TBN or on the TV, yeah, right. and you have to sit there and watch it. They yeah. tie you to a chair, and you must watch this. No. Yeah. So that would be my agony, right? My agony yeah. would be like, ah, oh, like I don't get to eat what I want to eat. I don't get to watch what I want to watch. I don't get to do what I want to do. Um, that would be my agony. And and Paul doesn't mention any of that. Paul's perfectly content being in prison, and which is a little bit mind blowing. But his agony is not in that. His agony is in where is the state? Where where is the spiritual state of the church? That's his agony, mm-hmm. which is really convicting, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> because even now, even out, outside of prison, I'm not in prison, but I still have concerns and I still have agony and I still have things. And man, most of the time it's not about the state of the church. Unfortunately, like, uh, I don't know if that's different for you. Maybe you're a better Christian than I am. Oh gosh. Um, (laughs) No, uh, you know, like I said, uh, I've been worried about this term paper. I had to finish last night and, uh, got it done barely. Mm. Uh, and, uh, so it was more focused on that, particularly the past few days, trying to get that knocked out than, you know, concerned about other things. Really, yeah. that's really been first. So Yeah. Um, and so that's probably even like in the – Pastor Lee wasn't going with us with the sermon, but this right. is like a good like preface kind of like litmus test for us of like – how distracted are we becoming with life that we're starting to lose focus on what we should really be concerned about? Not that term papers are bad. Right. And not that, you know, taking care of our family and our houses and and whatnot. Those things aren't bad, but, but alongside that, there should also be a central focus on the church Mm -hmm. and the community of the church and and where the church is heading in its um, spiritual state and discipline and and things like that. Hey, that's okay. Our church here, everybody knows, uh, we've already all reached full spiritual maturity. Yeah. We don't need to agonize over the... <laughs> really, we're just we're just ready for the second coming. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, anytime, just anytime, yeah. we're ready. <laughs> Every single person in Azel is already saved. Yeah, that's right. There's and nothing for us to do. There's right? nothing for us to do. <laughs> Judah, do you agree with that? Uh, <laughs> like, y'all are full of it. <laughs> okay. Before lightning strikes, let's go. <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> All right, so Paul is agonizing, struggling over um, the people in these churches and their state, and what does he want for them? And that's really where we get into the meat of the sermon, is that there's two goals that Paul is really aiming for, for um, these churches, and, and largely speaking, the goals are to know Christ and to be built up into Christ. And so, so uh, Lee um, walks through this very exegetically, yes. um, which is a big word. Again, the, define that word for them if, uh, if they don't remember, if they haven't tuned in. Yeah, so uh, exegesis is to pull out, uh, in this case, meaning uh, from a text. Eisegesis is the opposite, where we come to the text with our own preconceived notions, and we read all of these notions and ideas that we have into the text. Have you heard of a third one? There's a third one? Narcissus. Oh. Have you heard of that? (laughs) Yes, I have heard of narcissus. (laughs) So, exegesis, you pull the meaning out of the scripture. Eisegesis, you read your own meaning onto the scripture. Narcissus is everything in scripture is about you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Anyways. 
<laughs> doesn't have anything to do with this right now. It just made me think of that. Maybe we'll find a bad doctrine of the week that has to do with Narcissus. <laughs> I've sure. actually got one. I'm sure uh, we can. Yeah. In my back pocket for later. Yeah. But I'm sure yeah. there's plenty of them. Oh, yeah. Okay, so he walks through this exegetically um, where he's just breaking down uh, each verse and kind of digging out uh, what, what Paul's trying to communicate uh, through this passage. And, and this first goal, um, well, actually, before we get into the goals, um, uh, Pastor Lee kind of pointed out um, the verse 3, mm-hmm. uh, and it says, In him, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Yes. And that's kind of the the preface to to these two goals that he's about to talk about that that, um, that that that's what we're trying to find here. We're trying to find the treasures that are hidden in Christ, particularly wisdom and knowledge. And did you catch what he said about wisdom and knowledge? I, th- I thought it was yeah. pretty good. Yeah, uh, he said knowledge is the understanding of truth. Wisdom is the ability to apply truth to our lives in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, there, um, you know, when we see knowledge and wisdom, right, defining these things is important because. We see those words, and they sound sort of like the same thing, mm-hmm. right? But they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need knowledge in order to engage in wisdom, mm-hmm. uh, to apply it and to live uh, rightly in a way that uh, God has uh, prescribed for us to live. And so uh, while just sort of glancing and, and uh, at the passage or sort of just reading through it might be tempted to sort of skip over uh, that idea, mm-hmm. uh, but there's a difference. Yeah, between them. Yeah, and that's it's really important because you can have you can you can for sure have knowledge without wisdom. Oh yeah, there's lots of people that have a great knowledge about the Bible yet have no practical, meaningful application of that in their life, yeah. uh, which is where you get into people who, um, but just take their knowledge of the Bible and just become so viciously um, uh, combative with mm-hmm. it. Um, that I would say is not a wise wisdom right. uh, application of the knowledge. They have the knowledge, but no wisdom to actually apply it. Yep. Um, now, on the other side of that, can you have wisdom without knowledge? Probably not. Um, I'm going to go with no. Yeah, like, like I, th- I think you can have wisdom through the world's lens, right, right. Uh, the wisdom of like, like uh, I, you know, I'm level headed and I'm able to process and and walk like everything common through. Sense yeah, kind of like a, like or, a common uh, sense, street sense, yeah. maybe. But a biblical view of wisdom, because the biblical view of wisdom is being able to take the knowledge of God and then wisely apply it. Mm-hmm. Right, and if you don't have the knowledge of God, how can you apply it? You can't. You can't. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so um, you can have knowledge without wisdom. But you can't have biblical wisdom without knowledge, right? And so, so we see this from time to time. You have people who are like, like, uh, man, I'm just here to love God. I don't care anything about the Bible or about doctrine or anything like that. And and to that, I would say, no, you can't do that. Right. You can't do that. Um, now, like, uh, of course, like you can, you know, take knowledge to a unhealthy level mm-hmm. and to an unproductive uh, extent, but to be able to have wisdom and to be able to love God well, to love others well, you have to have knowledge. Right. right? It's, it's a prescription in the it's Bible. It's even part of the definition that Lee gave. So if knowledge is understanding of the truth, wisdom is the ability to apply truth that you have to understand first mm-hmm. uh, to our lives in this world. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even tied up with the definition Pastor Lee gave... I mean, yep. yeah, you have to have the knowledge, and the knowledge is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like, this is something that we need, 
but it can't stop there, yeah. right? It has to continue on into actual wisdom. Yeah. yeah. And so there's sometimes uh, there's people out there that are like, like uh, you hear they hear the word theology or doctrine, and they're like immediately tune off. Don't do that. Don't <laughs> right. do that. Tune in. There's a point to that. Mm-hmm. In the same way, there's people that uh, when they get to the application side of things, they tune off and they're like, just give me knowledge. It's like, don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> don't do that. They're, they're both hand in hand. You have to have the knowledge of God and you and uh, you also have to have the wisdom to be able to apply mm-hmm. the knowledge. And so, yeah. So so that's kind of the preface to, to these two goals, that, that that's what Paul is wanting them to understand ultimately is the, the, the treasure of the wisdom and knowledge of Christ. Yes. Okay. So the first goal is to know Christ, and so let, let's read the verse. So I think it's verse 2, if you want to read it, okay. um, that this is based off of. All right, uh, verse 2, uh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Mm-hmm. So Lee broke this down uh, into roughly three or four uh, steps of like, how do you know Christ? How do you come to the... Uh, to the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. It's these four steps, and one is to to be encouraged, mm-hmm. two, to be united in love, three, to be completely understanding, and four is to know the mystery of Christ, which three and four are kind of close to each other, uh, and he even kind of elides those a little bit mm-hmm. together in the, the sermon, uh, but to uh, completely understand and know the mystery of Christ. So, let's start with first one, encourage, because um, he's almost laying this out as a like a method of how someone comes to know Christ, and he says like the first thing they need is just encouragement. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, uh, I I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, in the first place, uh, yeah, building each other up and encouraging one another. Uh, Pastor Lee even talked about doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, find other people uh, in the church, maybe uh, people that you haven't met. Uh, you know, go and meet them and say something encouraging to them. Um, I mean, you, we don't know. Uh, it, is in, is uh, words of affirmation your love language? I love your shirt today. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's not. <laughs> words of affirmation is not my love language. Uh, do, do you know the love languages? Yes. Things? Okay, yeah. Um, it's Randy's love language is words of affirmation. Um, and <laughs> it's like, like of the five, like words of affirmation is like probably last on the list <laughs> and it's probably number one on her list and so she's always like very much like, like you know filling me up with like encouragement and then and i'm over here like good job <laughs> whatever <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so this encouragement thing it doesn't come natural to me i don't know if it comes natural to you uh i've got to be intentional yeah about it uh mm. and really uh, think about it to to be encouraging. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think so. Uh, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, uh, Judah, you are. are you a a natural encourager? Well, I do lead the pre K, or at least help lead it, and so I have to give a lot of words of encouragement to those pre K kids. Is that a drain on you, or is it like you oh, come yeah. alive? It's a drain. <laughs> it's a drain. <laughs> I love them though. <laughs> you love those kids, but man, they're a drain. <laughs> they they can be. Yeah, that's for yeah. sure. Um, so, so yeah, on, on one level, uh, encouragement is good. Um, I mean, and even the way that, uh, that Jesus approaches unbelievers in scripture, uh, Pastor Lee talked about it too, is, um, he doesn't come over and, you know, immediately beat them over the head with the Bible and mm-hmm. say, Hey, you're going to hell. You're so awful. Um, instead 
what he does is he calls them to something better, right? Mm-hmm. He calls them to mm-hmm. himself, and and then uh, he's he he even calls them to repentance. So it doesn't like stop at encouragement. It's not like sin isn't in the conversation at mm-hmm. all. Uh, but it's really more of the way uh, that he goes about yeah. addressing those issues in people's mm-hmm. lives. And I think that's a really important distinction, and, and Pastor Lee brought this up. Um, so, so there's some preachers out there that are so heavy on the encouragement that they exclude the conviction sin side of things. Mm-hmm. And and Lee pointed out that's that's not what he's talking about. Right. That's not what he's talking about. And I'm glad you made that clarification, which I, I know what he means yeah. by that, but just so everyone else knows. Because uh, he's almost given this as a, a method of evangelism. Yeah. Um, and so, so he doesn't dismiss conviction. Conviction is there, and conviction is a part of someone coming to know Christ. But conviction should be alongside the encouragement. Like you were saying, it's like we're not just – we're not just beating people up over their sin, but we're calling them to something better. Right. Um, right. And so, so if um, if done properly, if like like how Jesus um, shared uh, the gospel with people. So let's take the uh, the rich young ruler. Rich mm-hmm. young ruler comes up. He's like, "What can I do to get to heaven?" And Jesus gives them two the the twofolded side of this. Like one is like. Go sell everything you have, get rid of all this junk, let go of all this thing that you're putting ahead of me, and then come follow me. So there's the conviction of I've got to let go of these things I'm putting in front of God, and then also the encouragement of I'm being called to something better. Right. And so both those things have to be there. Um, and so if someone leaves and and they just they feel discouraged, like I'm just a piece of trash, like God doesn't love me, God doesn't care about me, like I'm just a sinner. Um. Well, that's where, where are they going to go from there? Right. It can't stop there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For sure. Uh, yeah. If it even gets there. So if and if it stops there, then it's like, nope. You need to keep sharing and yeah, well, share the gospel, right? Right. Because uh, that's only if uh, you know sharing about sin, and, and hopefully we're not making people feel like they're worthless. Uh, everyone's made it in God's image. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, and so pointing out somebody's sin to them. Uh, that's o- that's okay to do, but mm-hmm. it can never stop yeah. there. Yeah, kind of like what we talked awful. about uh, a few weeks ago in the conversation of like how do we love others well um, is not just like like if if you are having to call someone out in their sin, um, it should be part of a much larger conversation of you're pushing them to the gospel, right? Right. Um, and so so someone shouldn't ever leave thinking like oh, I'm just a sinner. God doesn't love me. Because that's, that's discouraging. That's not encouraging. They should be encouraged while convicted in their sin. They should be encouraged that God is wanting to pull them out of that sin. Right. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, it, it's also worth noting, uh, so that's that was Jesus' method, right? Whenever he met sinners that were sort of, um, uh, you know, who would come to him or uh, that he would even go to. Um, but then, you know, he even had a different approach when it came to like the Pharisees and Sadducees mm-hmm. and, and those who were really part of the that religious establishment um, who ultimately well, end up rejecting him, mm-hmm. right? And uh, his, I mean, if you read the the woes that he speaks against them, I mean, you don't, uh, I don't imagine that you'd walk away with a probably not, you know, fun feeling uh, mm-hmm. after that. But at that point, they'd already. Uh, made it pretty clear that they had rejected Christ, and well, and they knew, yeah, right, and that's that's where you see the different um, the the different uh, ways that Jesus approaches conversations. Right. So, like, if he approaches someone who's already 
like an outcast, humbled um, in the sense of like they're aware of their mm-hmm. situation. Man, he's got all the love and gentleness because the conviction's already there. Right. Like, like he doesn't have to convict them in that moment. He he just has to now point them mm-hmm. uh, to to something better. The Pharisees were so like. Well, one, they already knew the truths of God mm-hmm. um, before Jesus even got there because they were Pharisees. They were they were part of the Israelites. Um, but two, they were so arrogant that, that Jesus had to come with a much harsher approach to like like hopefully wake them up yep. out of that arrogance and, and to get them to realize like you're not you're not as right with God as you right. think you are, right. and then you're missing it because yeah. of that. Yeah, because if yeah. you have only encouragement with no conviction, so like in that case, like like let's say uh, he went up to the Pharisees and it's like, hey, come follow me, and they're like. I am, man. Yeah, <laughs> right. And there's no conviction on there. They can they can now get confused mm-hmm. uh, or misled uh, about their state with God, which they were, which were comes in a little bit harsh. Right. Blind leaders of the blind. Yeah, right. and that's that's the the concern with some of those preachers out there that are a little bit more heavy on the encouragement mm-hmm. in lot or uh, in spite of uh, conviction and sin yeah. is that you have people who walk away so encouraged by God. With no conviction, and then they think that they're in a right relationship with God, but they haven't actually dealt with their sin and right. allow God to deal with their sin. It's like the whole idea, like, I am enough. Yeah. It's like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. So there's for sure this balance of, like, encouragement, yes, and then conviction runs right alongside that. Yep. 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 For sure. Yep. So that's the first thing, uh, the first step in how to know Christ is, one, to be encouraged, uh, uh, two, is to be united in love. Um, any thoughts on this one? I really liked the way that uh, uh, the ESV puts puts this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, in the ESV, it says, being knit together in love. Oh yeah. Uh, what is is that? What mine says? Uh, joined together in love. Joined to together. Knit together is more poetic. I like yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is a little more poetic. But um, now, full disclosure, I've never actually engaged in knitting because I don't want to. I have. Well, not knitting, but sewing. <laughs> okay, I've but, done some yeah. sewing before, but knitting, mm-hmm. I just yeah, don't see the appeal. But I well, have. You're not an eighty year old woman, right? You know, so. now, right. Granted, I have seen uh, yeah. some of the older ladies. Um, you know, actually sit down and and they're working on on knitting and mm-hmm. doing all this needlework and things like that. And what's striking about that is, it's a process, mm-hmm. right? It's not something that you can sort of just wave your hands and oh hey, uh, this beautiful uh, piece of whatever it is that they're doing has been knit together, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes it takes hours mm-hmm. uh, or days mm-hmm. to actually go about knitting something. Uh, together or like you know, have you seen people that do all the fancy crocheting and they they're able to crochet things that um, like you wouldn't think would be possible to mm-hmm. crochet and some of that stuff's really cool but it's a process yeah right so even here um, you know when it comes to being knit together in love it's not. Uh, I don't think it's as easy of a process uh, or, or or something you yeah. can snap your fingers and hey oh we all love each other yeah uh, for sure yeah well and if I was to take that that uh, analogy even further of being like knit together you have all these individual strands of yarn or, or yep. whatever it is they're using and all coming together and so by themselves they're all individual but once they're knit together they're one piece mm-hmm. they're one blanket one 
you know, scarf or whatever they, they make. One baby um, Yoda hat. Yeah, you know, one baby Yoda hat. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and so, so that's, that's a very... Uh, that's a very apt illustration of the church, is that we have all these individuals and, and diversity within the church, yet when they come together, they make one. Mm-hmm. Uh, they come together as one church. Uh, and, and Lee even pointed that out, that, that the church is a very diverse place, and diversity is great, yet diversity brings difference, mm-hmm. right? And that's not a bad thing. Difference is a good thing, but difference is a reality right. of the church. Um, like we're both in our own small groups, and, uh, and within our small group, we're we're around people who are of similar age and life stage. Yet at the same time, we all have different personalities, and we all have different um, hobbies and and uh, things that we enjoy doing. And that's good. And and the question is, how do we take all of these different? Um, personalities and giftings and things like that and knit it together into one. Right. Right. That, that, that's kind of the question. Uh, it reminds me of Acts 2. So when Acts 2, the, the, the early church comes together, and uh, the way it describes it is they had all things in common. Now, there's like 3,000 people here, yeah. right? And it says they had all things in common. Did they really have all things in common? No, like of course not. They didn't have all things in common in the in in that sense. Like in the sense of like they didn't like all like enjoy the same things. They like they're all copy paste robots. Yeah, it's not yeah, like that. yeah. It's not you didn't have three thousand of the exact same person. When they said they had all things in common, what they meant by that is like they had all their values and all their goals were in common and heading in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And that's how you take. A, a diverse group of people and unify them into one is not getting them to all look the same, sound the same, think the same, but rather get them all to unify under the same values, principles, and goals, namely Christ. Right. Right. Uh, and then head in the right direction or head in the same direction. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's definitely the picture you see in Acts 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the basis of their unity is Christ mm-hmm. at, the, uh, at the end of the day. And again, more than likely it was a... Uh, you know, relatively diverse group. I mean, yeah, you had people that uh, clearly didn't all speak the same language. Even. Yeah, they were all from different areas because yeah. uh, they came together for uh, Pentecost. Right. And yet, at the same time, despite that, they enjoyed that unity uh, that comes from being in Christ, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, really incredible if you think about it. The mm-hmm. way that, uh, you know, and, and there were, uh, I can't remember where I was or where I saw this, but there was a, a missionary that was given a, a testimony, was back home. I don't think it was here, uh, but it's also been a while um, since I saw this. But he talked about he was uh, in a foreign country. He didn't happen to know the language uh, that was being spoken there. And so uh, at this church service overseas, um, he's hearing this hymn being sung that he knows, like he knows the hymn. He doesn't know the words in that particular country, but he knows all the words in English. And so it, it was striking to him that, hey, you know, even though we're singing in different languages, like it's the same song uh, that we're singing mm-hmm. and uh, we're, we're all unified uh, as the church, capital C Church, uh, in, in the Lord, mm-hmm. uh, in Christ. And uh, I thought that was uh, – uh, I can only imagine, uh, I guess, what that mm-hmm. may have been like, but yeah, sounds powerful. Yeah, and unity is just such a major theme of the New Testament, and uh, one of the main reasons is they were now, like Gentiles, 
were being introduced into the church as like full blown you know Christians, which like mind boggled the Jews. Yep. Um, and so a lot of these uh, letters are kind of answering the question: Okay, we got these Jews and these Gentiles coming together in one as part of the church. How do we how do we be unified now in that? Because there's just so much discrimination and mm-hmm. and prejudice um, in that that process. So so how do we come together? In Galatians, they're like, y'all must be circumcised. So they get a letter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, Sorry. <laughs> just want to sneak that in there. Yeah. And so. Uh, Unity is such such an important part, not just for the church itself to be unified, but also as an evangelistic tool, mm-hmm. right? So, like if if we're preaching that that God can redeem us and make us new and pull us all together, yet outside people look at the church and say, "Y'all aren't pulled together. What are y'all talking about? Y'all aren't unified." Now it just crumbles the whole whole idea that God is making us new. Um, and so, unity is a, a really important. Uh, concept in the church and even in our uh, membership class mm-hmm. that you lead, uh, one of the expectations that we have is unity, yep. right? Um, uh, so, w- w- what's some things that you, you say on that? Um, um, so, uh, one of the, uh, when it comes to maintaining the unity of the church, uh, really what we're talking about is uh, here at, at First Baptist Hazel as a local church mm-hmm. and maintaining unity within this local church. Um, so some of the things that we talk about are how unity is uh, a witness to the world. Um, and, and unity there doesn't mean, again, just like uh, you, we all have to have the same preferences and like Pastor Lee pointed out, you know, not everybody has to be a country person or a, a city guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um but the the basis of the unity is of the church is uh, is Christ and what He's done for us, right? It's the great thing that we all have in common, mm-hmm. um, and so because of that, uh, we are engaging in wisdom. Here it is mm-hmm. uh, in in wisdom and how we go about uh, interacting uh, even with each other. And so some of the ways that uh, we see uh, unity being sort of uh, torn away is when you have people start to engage in uh, gossip and slander and things like that, really pulls at the fabric of a church. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when it comes to unity, uh, one of the things that uh, we uh, we agree to do as members is to deal with conflict in a biblical way, uh, which follow Matthew 18. uh, Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you go to that person uh, who you have a problem with, you don't go and tell all your friends and rally the troops first and, Mm -hmm. and and then sort of go from there and see what happens. But uh, that's, that's what we talk about in members class. So essentially establishing unity and then protecting unity. Simon Sinek, uh, business philosopher, puts it this way where it's like you, you develop your, your circle of trust within people and then protect that circle the best you can. Like, like whenever you pull pe- new people into that circle, make sure it's abundantly clear how we're going to protect this circle. And that's kind of, and it's difficult to do like, cause he was talking more, more on like a small team mm-hmm. uh, mindset, but it's difficult cause you know, we're talking, we got what, three or 400 members here. Um, and so it's, it's very difficult once you get to a, a group that big the diversification becomes even bigger. Pastor yeah. Lee even mentioned that, you know, likely this church that Paul was running to was like 25 people. Yeah. Like his house churches. It's a little bit easier to maintain unity in, in that set. But once you like scale it up to, you know, three or 400 people, um, now it, it just takes all the much more intentionality 
uh, and just everyone's on the same page of like, this is where we're heading, this is where we're going, and we're going to have differences along the way, and that's okay. Here's how we deal with those differences. We don't talk about people behind their back. We go we go face-to-face and uh, try to restore that relationship. The goal is unity. Right. It's always unity. Um, we could talk about that for a long time. Oh, yeah. That's a sermon right there. Man, that's... Or, that's a sermon series right there. That's one of my pet peeves, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. Is... <laughs> Is gossip, man. That's that's just one of my pet peeves. Uh, mainly because uh, I've I've lived parts of my life engaging in gossip, and then uh, there was a time when I when I realized, like, man, if I'm gonna take the Bible seriously about the stuff, then I need to not engage in this and, and not live my life this way. And so um, I, I cleaned up a lot of that stuff uh, where I'm, I'm I'm not talking about people behind their back and, and things like that. And once you it's it's like almost like an addict. Once you're like separated from that for a while and know what life feels like, not constantly putting other people down and like looking over your shoulder, like, oh, did they hear me say that? Yeah. Um, so on and so forth. Um, it's like once you're kind of like kind of reintroduced to it or, or get pulled into it, it's like, man, it just makes me feel awful. Um, and I'm just like, I don't like that. Uh, I don't think God called us to live that way. Anyways. <laughs> Unity coming soon to a pulpit near you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've uh, I've probably preached on gossip. Yeah, you have <laughs> uh, more than anything else, just because it's it's a pet peeve of mine, and it's such it can destroy a group, it can destroy a church, um, and yeah. many churches have been destroyed uh, because oh. people just can't get along. Anyways, the the red carpet lovers versus the blue carpet lovers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, so those are the first two yes. uh, steps on like how, how do we know Christ? Like, like one, be encouraged to unite in love, um, and then I'm gonna combine three and four together uh, uh, in the passage. So it says so, so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. So the last step is to understand and know Christ. Um, any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, Pastor Lee uh, brought up, uh, you know, this hypothetical where, uh, you know, somebody uh, who is not a believer happens to own a Bible. It sits on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that they need to know is right there, was right there the whole time. Uh, but ultimately, uh, they they die unsaved uh, mm-hmm. because they didn't go, uh, you know, they didn't go and engage in any sort of you know, knowledge uh, to live in a, in a way that is wise and accords with wisdom. Uh, but it was there the whole time. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, when I was listening to him say that, it brought to mind uh, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he, uh, he was preaching a sermon one time, and he, he said to his, his congregation, he said, for some of y'all, you have Bibles at home sitting on the bookshelf with enough dust on them to write damnation. <laughs> It's like, oh man, uh, talk about convicting. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, uh, the, the treasure's there all along. It just, you know, uh, you never found it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, when it comes to complete understanding, one of the ways that we can uh, increase in our knowledge and in our wisdom is just by being saturated in the Word, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, studying Scripture, uh, not you know, not just with uh, or on our own terms or, or with ourselves by ourselves. That's good, but also with a small group. Mm-hmm. You know, iron sharpens iron. This is one of the ways that we can grow mm-hmm. uh, spiritually. 
is yeah with, and, with others. And I think um, on this idea of like having a complete understanding and and the mystery of Christ, I I think he's like really um, digging into like where they were at mm-hmm. uh, in in that particular time. And so you have like the Old Testament, uh, which you have like you know, thousands of years of history and prophecies and foreshadowings and types and and all pointing towards the messiah that's about to come and and so in the uh, i've heard it this way that that the old testament is like this like cracked door that you can see just a light just just peering through it just a little bit and what the new testament is what jesus is is that door being flung wide open Mm. and all of a sudden you now have what was revealed in part is now revealed in full yeah what what was once a mystery is now completely revealed yeah. and so now they have the the ability to completely understand the full gospel of of who Jesus is and, and what God has done and then just know Christ and, and right. know that mystery and uh, yeah bringing into uh, you know the the idea about having the Bible it's like like man you have this like you have this you have this uh, you know beam of light just sitting there mm-hmm. and you have the wonderful opportunity to just open the door wide open. And just see the full light of, of who God is, and most don't. Right. Most don't ever do it. And I, I think when Lee was uh, telling that story or, or the, the hypothetical about the, the Bible that goes unopened, I think he was holding uh, his new Bible that's just <laughs> – or his old new Bible that's been rebound recently that uh, mm-hmm. he had last week, mm-hmm. uh, too. And, you know, he's holding it, and he's, uh, he's very happy to show off his, uh, his newly bound old Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, uh, like you said last week, it is, uh, it's really pretty. Uh, they did a yeah. great job. Yeah. But uh, I thought that was, that was good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so, so in the, that first goal that Paul has for the church, that he's agonizing over the, over the church that they know is to just know Christ and how they do that, to, to be encouraged uh, through not just conviction, but but being called into something better to uh, be united in love in the church and see the unity of the church and to have a complete understanding and knowledge of this mystery of Christ that has been fully revealed Mm -hmm. and uh, come into a relationship with Christ. Um, And then the second goal, which we'll we'll go through this one pretty quick. The second goal for them is to uh, not only know Christ, but then to be built up into Christ. And so, uh, this gets into verse 6, right? Yes, uh, 6 through 8. Do you want to read that? Yep. Uh, Colossians 2, 6 through 8. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Yeah, so I love, and I mentioned this in one of my sermons a few weeks ago. Uh, I didn't know about this passage. I actually would use this passage if I knew about it, um, about this idea of how the church uh, and how us as Christians are established and then where we're going from mm-hmm. there. And so I mentioned that uh, that we're, that Christ is both the, the cornerstone and the foundation of our salvation, yet he's also the goal that we're heading towards. And this one just explicitly says that. Yep. Um, it's like we're, uh, so then just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him. Those are like opposites, right? Yep. It's like we're at the same time rooted down into Christ and at the same time growing up and being built up into Christ. I think that's just such a cool 
like uh, like poetic um, yeah, imagery imagery yeah. Uh, of of what the Christian faith is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so someone could look at it, and lots of people do. They're like, okay, I come to know Christ. All right, check the box. See you later. Yeah. All right, see uh, you in heaven. Yeah, I um, walked that, down the aisle one time during invitation and got saved, and yeah. now I'm good. Yeah, and that's uh, the Bible says this. Um, we're saying it now. We say this in our uh, in our membership class in our first steps lunch about our path uh, of discipleship here at the church um, isn't just to come to know Christ, but to grow up into Christ. Mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't stop there; it begins there, right? Right. And so our goal is to then just um, join together and to grow up uh, into Christ. And so, yeah, yeah. It's not the. Uh, it's not whenever we're we're justified. Whenever we. Uh, Whenever we decide to follow Christ, it's not like it's just the end of our old life, right? It's mm-hmm. also the beginning of yeah. our new life. Yeah. I mean, there's that whole second part mm-hmm. of it uh, is essential. We can't uh, we can't just consider, okay, uh, the old life is over, I'm saved. Okay, right. it's like, well, then what? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like that would make a really boring movie or a boring story if it yeah. just kind of stopped there. Yeah, uh, and you can't. You can't. So uh, I think it's actually Colossians that talks about this, the taking off the old self and putting on the new one. Is that Colossians? I'm not positive. I don't remember. Anyways, the, the that passage where it says we've we've uh, put off the old self and we've put on the new self. I think it's later in uh, Colossians two. Yeah, yeah. I now think it's I'm Colossians. Like... Um, <laughs> we're gonna find it, guys. Colossians three. Nine through ten. Oh, like Judah found Judah's it. on top of it, man. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. Uh, and so I've always explained it this way: that that passage, this idea of like, say you have a jacket on, and this jacket represents your old self. If you take off the jacket, um, and leave the jacket off, like what's eventually going to happen? You're going to get cold and you're going to put the jacket back on. It's like uh, you have to put on the new jacket, the new self of Christ. Um, It's like you have to replace your old self with the new self. And if you try to stay in this neutral area, which a lot of people do, like they won't try, like they'll try to get rid of sin without actually heading towards Jesus. Uh, And whenever you try to get rid of sin and don't actually replace it with Jesus, what's going to happen? Like something's got to go there. Something's going to fill that space. And if it's not Jesus, it's just going to go back to your sin. Yep, exactly right. right. And so it's it's very much, if you come to know Christ yet don't then engage in being built up into Christ, you're just going to go nowhere. Right. Right. And Pastor Lee talked about that mm-hmm. uh, in regard to Captain America. And, yeah, Captain America. Um, <laughs> now, uh, he bulked up over eight months, uh-huh. uh, and then since then, he has stopped working out and has, in Pastor Lee's words, uh, deflated. Deflated, yep. And so, uh, and it's the same way for us. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just, just right Which, in line with what we were talking about. You know, he said that that I would probably <laughs> wish I had the same kind of injection or something like that that Chris Evans had. Um, I would like everyone to know that I am currently starting the eight-month journey to become <laughs> Captain America the same way Chris Evans did, and you can't tell me I'm not. Um, I don't know. You, like, just this past month told us about your failed gym member experience. Uh, hey, are we sure this is going to 
you know. I've put off the old self, <laughs> and I've put on the new self. <laughs> Time will tell. Time will tell. Okay, well, let's do the math. What's eight months Okay, no, now? no, no. Let's not <laughs> okay. do the math. Don't follow up. Just take me at my word. Okay, anyways, anyways. Yes, so he talks about how Chris Evans had to um, uh, work out and train uh, for eight months in order to bulk up to, to uh, get ready for the Captain America movie and how as soon as that was over, um, he went right back to where he was cause he didn't, uh, maintain it. And right. so it kind of becomes twofold for us in being built up into Christ. We both have to put in the discipline to, to mature into Christ and then keep the discipline to maintain that maturity mm-hmm. in Christ. Um, you got any thoughts? Um, uh, well, I, how, uh, how do you think we can, you know, take some, some. What are some practical steps that we can take to actually be growing spiritually and, and getting stronger spiritually and, and growing in that maturity, mm-hmm. so that uh, we don't uh, backslide or we or we don't deflate, yeah. as it were. So I think uh, this is where spiritual disciplines are good. Um, spiritual disciplines get a bad rap because no one wants to be legalistic or anything like that. Um, but spiritual disciplines are there for a reason. They're called disciplines for a reason because it develops discipline in you. And um, I think it's things like like prayer, obviously. Um, uh, meditating on the Bible is a good one. Um, uh, gathering together with uh, the church and the community. Um, fasting. Uh, we don't ever do that one. <laughs> uh, Chick Fil A exists. It's hard to f- well, hey, except Sunday. Except I guess. Sunday. Oh, That's your fasting me, day. There me. you go. <laughs> gotcha. Um, uh, now I don't want to sound all high and mighty because I don't fast. But <laughs> fasting was a spiritual discipline in the Bible, and and the whole point of it was uh, for a period of time I'm going to abstain from eating food so that I might commit myself to the Lord. Uh, and, and they would a lot of times do that in times of seeking out the Lord's will mm-hmm. and wisdom and all that. And so I think, I think those disciplines, while it can move into a legalistic side, and, right. and of course that's the case, anything can move into a yeah. legalistic side, but we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Right. Um, those things are like, like, so let's take the knowledge side of things. You have to have knowledge to have wisdom, right? Um, so like dedicating yourself to studying the Bible and meditating on God's word how else are you gonna? How else are you gonna get the knowledge? Right? It, it's like you won't. You won't. Um, and the whole <laughs> everybody's waiting on like new special revelation. It's like, oh, the Holy Spirit will tell me Dude, everything. Yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> lie. There was a guy I knew. Oh no. Um, I was in high school. He was in college, uh, and he kind of took that approach of like, he, like the Lord will reveal what He wants. Like I just, I do what the Lord wants me to do, and He will reveal everything I need to know. Um, so he was in college and he would not study or go to class and rather, you know, pray and do whatever. And his mindset was, if the Lord wants me to know these things, the Lord will, will give me these things. I don't think that's how the Lord works. (laughs) Um, not typically. Yeah. And so like, we, we talked about this before with, uh, with evangelism, um, like one of the the root components of evangelism is you have to know how the gospel mm-hmm. works. Like you have to have a functioning knowledge and understanding of the gospel before you can communicate it. And if you're going to hold that mindset of the Lord will just speak through me through the Spirit, 
It doesn't work that way. That's not the, the, the goal of the Spirit isn't to speak for you. The goal of the Spirit is to remind you of all the things you have learned in Christ. But you have to first learn those things yeah. in Christ. And so, um, like, like, there's no easy ticket. Like, like, and that was the whole right. point of, of uh, Lee's illustration is there's no injection that's just going to take you from here to here. Right. It's a long, hard process of discipline of, like, like being committed to prayer, being committed yeah. to studying your Bible, so that way on the other side you can um, be fully mature right. in Christ. And and that's one of the reasons Paul is agonizing uh, mm-hmm. over them, uh, is you know to see these things come to pass. And it's mm-hmm. not, again, it's not like there's a shot. It's not like there's just a super snap your fingers and then boom. Otherwise, Paul doesn't need to be in agony over right. anything, right? Right. Yeah, and so um, I think other things do. Uh, so, so that's like a good like way to uh, get to maturity mm-hmm. is through those disciplines. A uh, way to maintain it, um, I think, uh, is community. Mm-hmm. I think community is one of the best things you can do to maintain uh, that maturity in Christ uh, because th- th- there's a reason why um, all of the difficult programs of life, so like, like uh, losing weight, mm-hmm. getting finances on uh, together, working out, all those things typically happen in like group settings, right? Recovery from addiction. Um, they're typically group setting things. Not that you can't do it on your own. You can do it on your own. Mm-hmm. You can go through Financial Peace University on your own, or I'm sure you can do diets on your own. But they, they typically work better, and the success rate is higher in groups because you have other people holding you accountable and walking yeah. with you along that. And, and that's where... Um, uh, the Bible places such an emphasis on gathering together and being part of the community of the church because life is hard and sin is fickle. And and if you don't have people who are holding you accountable, it's just so easy to slip away into the background. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, Lee even pointed this out. There's people who used to be so engaged in their faith and so engaged in the church and serving and in, in doing ministry, and then they just slowly, piece by piece, just start pulling out and pulling out and pulling out, and it's just the slow burn yep. to where you're just no longer engaged anymore. Yep. Um, and then uh, maybe completely unchurched and yeah. unchurched for years, yeah, uh, even. Uh, and so it's very much, uh, it goes back to that unity and love. It's like the unity and love implies you're around other people, mm-hmm. and you have to maintain that. Uh, and so, so, yeah, I think that's some of the the practical things you can do to be uh, built up in Christ. And it's not going to happen tomorrow. Like if you just got saved today or if you just joined the church today or if you just started visiting the church today, like don't expect to like, boom, you're there next week. That's not the way it works. Um, It's a long process of like pressing in and pressing in and pressing in and pressing in. Yeah. I've heard it said this way. It's like, okay, well, when's the best time? Uh, to you know, to get plugged back in uh, into a local church, it's like, well, the best time was ten years ago or whatever. <laughs> uh, but the second best time is right now. Uh, mm-hmm. If it hasn't happened to this point, mm-hmm. it's like you got to start somewhere. It's like, you know, if you uh, really want to plant a tree in your yard, uh, let's say that you don't have very many trees. Um, well, if if you want a tree for a shade tree, the best time to have done it was a while ago. But then, like, you know how it works, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Oh, that's, there goes six months. There goes another. Well, yeah. it's not a good time to plant. You know, maybe we're in February and it's ice mageddon all over again. Mm-hmm. And, well, I'll get to it later. And then suddenly 10 years go by mm-hmm. and then you still haven't planted your shade tree. And so, 
what should I do this spring? Well, maybe I should just go out and plant it because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, just gotta do it. It's like ten years, yeah. uh, or, or you know, even uh, we could we can go any span of time we want. You know, uh, this month is gonna pass. Eight month is is gonna pass by. A year is gonna pass. Ten years is going to pass, whether we're really ready for it or not. And so the question is, you know, what are we doing uh, mm-hmm. with the time that we have? Are we spending it growing? Um, or are we just going to be stagnant and or, or even regress in our spiritual maturity mm-hmm. um, through that time? That's mm-hmm. really the question uh, yeah. that we have to ask and you know go about addressing it. Yeah, you just got to do it. Yeah, just wake up and do it. <laughs> That's right. Yep. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up uh, the sermon so that way we can get to our bad doctrine. But just to recap, uh, Paul in Colossians two is writing to uh, a couple different churches, and he's agonizing. He's struggling. Um, over them, not in a negative sense, but in a positive sense, wanting them to uh, attain these goals in the faith. And those goals are twofold. One is to know Christ, to to be encouraged and united in love, and to understand and know the mystery that has been revealed in Christ. And then two, to not just know Christ, but then to be built up into Christ, into full maturity, so that way uh, we might be able to stand strong against the principles of the world mm-hmm. and stand strong in Christ um, and be a, a um, force of good and light uh, into the world for Christ. Um, and so that's uh, that's uh, this week's sermon. Are, are you full of agony? I'm working on it. You're working on it? Okay, all right. <laughs> How about you? Uh, are you feeling some agony yet? I am. When I listen back to this and hear my voice, I might <laughs> be full of agony. Right now, I'm okay. <laughs> well, that's good. But that's the wonderful agony of our faith. Now we're going to move into the bad doctrine of the week, uh, which is sounding like a wild one, Jacob. What, what do we got? Okay, let me see if I can get this pulled up. Okay, so far, here we go. So I actually saw this uh, last week, mm-hmm. if I remember right, uh, back when we were uh, we were out on vacation, mm-hmm. and this popped up on my Facebook feed, and I'm like, really? Uh, so there's actually two articles uh, mm-hmm. to go off of, and we can sort of weigh them against each other a little bit, but we'll go with the shocking one first. Okay. Okay. So this is from CBS News. Uh, the Vatican, get time off in purgatory by following Pope on Twitter. Sounds pretty awful. Uh, Right. For a number of reasons. Number one, I don't want to have to get a Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, right. Or X. They're changing it, right? It's X now. Yeah. Like they're calling it X? Yep. Why? Like ecstasy? (laughs) No, just X. Like Twitter is now X? Yeah. Yeah. And their tweets, the tweets are X's. Why would they do that? That doesn't doesn't flow off the tongue. Like like tweets, like you, you tweet something out, like that just... Go, it's Elon Musk. It's SpaceX now. It's oh, like space maybe. tweet. You know? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, he talked about that. Did he really? Yeah. It's uh, like a it's like a cohesive brand kind of thing. Right. Yeah, so so Tesla's now products. gonna be TX or something. Yeah. Texas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, okay. So uh yes. So you have to get Twitter already off to a bad start. Yes. Yeah. Uh, or X or whatever we're calling now. Um okay, so uh, in the article it talks about how Uh, I'll just read this part. The Vatican is taking a modern approach to one of its oldest traditions by offering indulgences to Twitter followers of the Pontifex's social media uh, account. Normally it says like pontiff or something, pontifex. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, um, and so uh, this is all revolving around this World Youth Day that is uh, even currently being held. So we've already missed half of our get out of purgatory free card. Uh, It seems. Uh, Yeah. Uh, So Pope Francis is making this first time offer to the faithful who will follow the events in Rio de Janeiro online with this World Youth Day. So um, uh, apparently there's something special happening uh, here uh, or there in Brazil uh, where uh, I suppose that Pope Francis is and they're doing some sort of Roman Catholic stuff that can earn you uh, some sort of indulgence. And so if you can't be there physically and in person, you can just follow on Twitter. Okay. Let's let's bring everyone up to speed because <laughs> everyone might not be, uh, you know, theologians on Catholic doctrine. Um, okay. Let's define some of these terms. So we got purgatory. We yes. got indulgences. Okay. So purgatory. Well, let's start with that. Purgatory mm-hmm. is, uh, it's a Roman Catholic doctrine. Uh, that I'll go on record and say it doesn't have any basis in scripture. Um, where after, shots fired, yeah, already, yeah, that's right. Uh, we'll be hearing about it, I'm yeah. sure. Um, so uh, the the doctrine holds that okay, uh, if you are a Christian, a believer in Christ, yet you die with uh, sins that are unconfessed or uh, otherwise need to be uh, dealt with, then rather than going to heaven and being in the presence of Christ when you die, you go to a place called purgatory which is, uh, it's almost like a holding place, sort of, but it's a place where you may have to spend a few years, could be hundreds of years, could be thousands of years, I mean, we don't know, Mm -hmm. Um, in order to be completely purged of those sins that were really unaccounted for during your life, and then after that, you get to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. So that's purgatory. That's Mm -hmm. the doctrine of purgatory. Uh, Indulgences. Uh, this is a very, very old practice. I think it started back in uh, the 14th century, early 14th century, uh, give or take, where in order to get out of purgatory, uh, you could have a signed letter uh, from uh, the Pope or, or from the Pope's um, sort of deputies. Uh, and usually you get these in exchange for a cash transaction. Mm-hmm. So. Hey, uh, I have a loved one that I'm sure is in purgatory. Let me pay you a thousand dollars, and now they get to go to heaven, right? And they're like, "Yes, here's your certificate uh, of indulgence." Um, so, and part of I'm just feeling my uh, my Martin Luther come yeah, up in me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, for those of y'all who uh, who are unaware, this is one of the uh, or really was the issue that caused Martin Luther to go and nail uh, the 95 Theses on the church door at Wittenberg, which sparked the entire Protestant Reformation. Uh, out of that, we get uh, Baptist churches. And so, uh, right, we're, we're in this long line of tradition uh, that really, in a big way, goes back to uh, the selling of indulgences in the medieval church mm-hmm. uh, by Rome even then. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes. So you got purgatory... If you have uncounted for sin, like you're saved, but you're uncounted for sin, unconfessed sin, you go purgatory to do penance. You for do that penance sin. And, and be purged of that sin. Yeah, and uh, loved ones who are still alive can purchase indulgences to get you out of purgatory faster. Right. This was the. This was at least the uh, just hurts me to say these words century. out loud. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so fast forward now to what's going on. Okay. So uh, that that was the CBS article with the shocking mm-hmm. headline, right? 
So this one is Forbes, and uh, this guy who wrote... By the way, I get all of my major theological uh, <laughs> statements from CBS right. and Forbes. Right. Uh, so, yeah, we want to be fair to the Roman Catholics at the same time. Uh, indulgences and the selling of indulgences has been a practice in the past, mm-hmm. for the record. Uh, but uh, apparently, according to this guy at Forbes, this is not what's actually happening. Okay, so what's actually happening? So... What, you know, I don't know what's actually happening. Oh, he doesn't explain this, it? No, well, this guy, uh, according to him, uh-huh. uh, we'll see. You know, I don't know. Um, he's saying uh, that that the indulgences that are being offered aren't really going to help you out in the afterlife as far as getting out of purgatory. Um, but instead, these are what are called plenary indulgences. God, man. The, I know. The Catholic, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to offend someone here. But the Catholic religion is a little goofy at times. Yes. So, okay. so the big difference between a plenary indulgence and then the indulgences that we've talked about is that plenary indulgences. Some big words here. Yeah. These plenary ones are really used to relieve any sort of consequences of sin in our temporal life. So, so like physical consequences? It could be. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, hey, it, it, I think that this is really the way that it's working. Hey, if you go to this youth festival, youth, World Youth Day that's in Rio de Janeiro, um, rather than doing penance in some other way, uh, which, you know, what, what happens in uh, Roman Catholicism is, okay, you commit a sin, you go to confession, the priest hears your confession, and normally will tell you to go and do penance of some kind. Say, X amount of Hail Marys, attend this many Masses during the week, or whatever, and you're absolved mm-hmm. from that. So, uh, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be wrong about this, but I think these plenary indulgences would then sort of like take the place of doing those other things. And so, if you follow the Pope on Twitter, that's... <laughs> equal to like Hail Marys or attending Mass? Uh, in essence, if you're following the Pope on Twitter specifically to participate in this World Youth Day, mm-hmm. then yes, you don't have to say so many Hail Marys. Okay. All right. So that's the story. Yes. That's what's going on. It's bad doctrine of the week. Now let's explain. Let's just choose one avenue of this and let's talk about why this is bad doctrine. What, what, what do you want to take? Let's take purgatory. Okay. All right. Purgatory. Does that sound good? Sure. Awesome. Sure. There's uh, so many other ways we could cut this. But. Yeah. So uh, what, what's your thoughts on why is purgatory bad doctrine? All right. So purgatory is bad doctrine. I've already said this once. Mm-hmm. It's unbiblical. There's no bu- biblical warrant at all in the canonical scriptures for purgatory, for any sort of doctrine. No mention of purgatory, no mention of this like holding place, intermediary holding place. Um, What does the Bible say about when we die, if we're saved? What what, what happens when we die? Uh, Well, it's the the thief on the cross. Uh, If we're absent in the body, we're present with the Lord. And so uh, our sort of bodies, uh, we shed our bodies basically, right? They stay here, uh, are buried in the ground. Uh, Our our souls go uh, to be with the Lord. Uh, in heaven, and we then await the resurrection uh, of our bodies, which takes place later. Um, on the other hand, uh, for those who are unbelievers, right, the same thing happens, except they don't go into the presence of Christ, they go uh, to uh, punishment uh, instead, and also await the, uh, the resurrection of their bodies for the ultimate judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 
purgatory is this sort of strange middle ground that exists mm-hmm. um, here. And part of the reason that the doctrine of purgatory is so problematic is it because it, it denies the finished work, the completed and finished work of, of Jesus on, on the cross and his, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Yeah, it kind of gets to the heart of the disagreement of Catholic doctrine and Protestant doctrine of uh, we're saved fully by grace through faith. Right. Yep. Right. Not that uh, – um, and it's not as if we're saying, hey, uh, I was saved uh, on this particular day and was baptized, now I'm good. Right, it's it's not like that. But mm-hmm. when we're justified, right, we're declared righteous uh, by God, and then really the rest of our lives is uh, striving uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit to live up to what God has declared us to be. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, if our sins have all been paid for, right, Second uh, Corinthians five twenty one, right, He made Him who knew no sin, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in Him. Well, if Jesus has taken all of that sin. Uh, that we've committed, and then uh, was nailed to the cross and paid for that sin, then literally there's no payment that's left due for sin. Mm-hmm. And so purgatory makes no sense. Right, because, uh, yeah, the whole idea of purgatory is like, okay, you're saved, you're forgiven of your sin, yet if you sin, it's putting a wall in right. between you and God. And that might be true in the sense of like, like your relationship, and, yeah, yeah, quenching the spirit, your relationship with God might be hindered, um, uh but salvifically, the Bible never right. speaks that that's the case. Right. Um, it's always like like you're, you, there's one mediator between you and Christ, or between you and God, uh, Jesus, uh, and, and that guy, Jesus, absolves you of your sin, uh, takes on the payment of your sin. And so, like, even if I was to, you know, go, you know, lose my temper uh, on the road today, like, while that sin might put me at a disadvantage between me and that guy, and maybe even between me and my relationship with God, salvifically, I'm still righteous before God. Like, my sin doesn't change that. Right. Right, if I've placed my faith in Christ. And that's not a warrant. That's not uh, cheap grace. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's not what that is. Uh, because then, you know, in response to our sin, right, we we agonize over it. There's that word again. Mm-hmm. You know, we we are sorrowful uh, over our sin. We go spend time in prayer uh, and and uh, you know in repenting uh, of our sin, and uh, and in that way we can uh, enjoy a closer fellowship uh, with God and uh, avoid quenching the spirit and things like mm-hmm. that, um, and then get to enjoy the blessings of being in covenant uh, mm-hmm. with with Christ and with God. Um, so, uh, yes, uh, yep. I agree. It's not that uh, when we sin, we suddenly become unjustified, mm-hmm. right? Once we're justified, we're justified. That's how it works. Yeah. So we do confess our sin. We do repent of our sin. We do seek out God, but it's not for salvific reasons. Once you're saved, it's for relational reasons um, and, um, you know, yielding to the Spirit and things like that. Sort right? of. I yeah. mean, it's all involved. Salvation involves all those things, right? right? Ultimately, like... But uh, if we're declared righteous, it's like our our hope is secure. That's already it's already done. Right. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. just the the battles that we fight right. uh, to sort of uh, you know pursue holiness. Yeah. Really. So in that case, if there is you know quote unquote you know unconfessed or things that that you didn't know about or whatever, and you die, there's no like penance that has to be right. like done right. for those sins. Right. Right. Jesus' yeah. sacrifice is uh, sufficient for my sin, your sin. Judah's sin, everybody's sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that he paid for. Mm -hmm. And so if Jesus, who is of this who is of infinite worth and value, paid for our sin, there's nothing left that we that okay. we owe. Well, if that's the case, I'm gonna go cancel my Twitter account because I'm because <laughs> I subscribe to uh, the Pope in hopes that I might lower my purgatory time. Right. <laughs> but it's only nine hundred years instead of nine hundred and one years. Yes. Um fun. There's other ways that we could go about this, <laughs> oh, but yeah. But that's a that's your um, you know Catholic uh, lesson of the week. Um, of course, we're not Catholic, so they may phrase it a little bit differently uh, than we did. Uh, but you know, this whole idea of purgatory, we don't believe is a biblical idea, right? Um, and so, yeah, fun, which fun. is a relief. Which is a relief. We are we do not have to get social media to be saved and yes. to get into heaven. Uh, we only have to place our faith in Christ and be saved by His grace. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, I think we can wrap it up, Judah. Yeah. Did you have a good day? I did. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Oh, awesome. A little All bit right. sore in the calves. A little sore in the calves. <laughs> From jumping. We got a few more days of VBS uh, at the time of recording. Uh, I would say come out to it, but by the time y'all see this, VBS will be over. Um, so we're going to go get some work done, rest a little bit before tonight. We're glad that y'all joined us um, for today. Don't forget, if you made it this far, to subscribe, like, comment, let us know. Uh, would you, do you even use Twitter? Would so would would linking Twitter to salvation cause you to get a Twitter, or would you say the cost is too high? <laughs> right. Yes. It, it, it's ironic. Even the the headline. Oh, if you follow the Pope on Twitter, that will help get you to heaven easier. I'm like, yeah, social media, if anything, will keep us out of heaven first before it <laughs> helps us to get in. I feel like yes. <laughs> So, like, comment, subscribe, do all those things. It lets YouTube and Facebook and all of them know that you like seeing this content and want to see more. Uh, let us know if you have anything you want to talk about. Uh, I think that's it. Yep. All right. Y'all have a good week.